Star Wars from the back to tank. I am Michael Flores, your host today, and in the cockpit with me is my Wookiee co-pilot, David Sabal. Hello. Hello, everyone. All right. So today we're going to be talking, we're going to be continuing our Rain Man Digital Halloween special with another discussion on Tales from Vader's Castle, issue number two, Count Dooku, Prince of Darkness. Now, if you missed our first discussion, go back. Scroll back on your feed, on your podcast of choice feed, and scroll back probably about a week, and you should see issue one come up. Today, we're going to be talking about issue number two, Prince of Darkness, is the second issue of the comic book miniseries Star Wars Tales from Vader's Castle. The comic was written by Kevin Scott and illustrated by Derek Charm and Kelly Jones. And this particular issue was released in October, on October 10th. And this is actually a co-venture between IW, IDW Publishing and Marvel Comics, along with Disney and Lucasfilm, of course. Tales from Vader's Castle puts a spooky spin on your favorite characters from a galaxy far, far away. If you missed our last discussion, this exciting weekly series explores the hidden corners of the Star Wars universe and features Rebel stars Hera, Kanan, Chopper, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Count Dooku, Han Solo, Chewbacca, the Ewoks, Darth Vader, all under the shadow of Vader's castle. All right, so we have come face to face in this issue with the Prince of Darkness, Count Dooku. Now, this was a story that just worked for me on so many different levels. Yeah, one, absolutely. I mean, one being I love B-horror flicks, as I had said in our last discussion, and I adore Christopher Lee's Dracula. Yes. Love it. The Hammer Dracula is yes. like, for me, that is the ultimate icon of Dracula. Oh, absolutely. Forget Lugosi. I know some Dracula fans will probably want to kill us right now, but Lee's my Dracula. And Hammer Films was fantastic for what it was back in the day. So this story kind of writes itself because it has all the proper ingredients. Um, a Dracula-esque story that expands on the mythos of Star Wars in a way, David, that exp- that explores never-before-known stories but also maintains the mystery. And despite those being 
these stories being canon compliant, there's still freedom for the writers because who's to say that this really happened? They're stories. They're stories. These are stories being verbally told, much like folklore or maybe more like urban legend, uh, which usually consists of fictional stories often presented as true with, you know, horror elements. Horror elements. And humorous elements mixed together, usually rooted in some type of local pop culture. But within the case of Star Wars, they're rooting it in established canon. Canon. Of Star Wars. So really the only thing that we know for certainty is that the commander of the Rebel Alliance, Lena Grath, has at one point crash landed with her crew on Mustafar. That's really the only thing we know without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. And I really dig the way they've chosen to tell these stories and borrow those same tropes from urban legends to not only sell an aesthetic or style, but also sell the narrative choices. So let's talk about this issue, all right, in particular, issue number two of Hales from Vader's Castle. Let's get into it. According to writer Kevin Scott, I love Kevin Scott, man, just he, he gets it. They originally thought about parroting Mary Shelley's 1818 novel Frankenstein, Frankenstein. but they realized that they had to parody Bram Stoker's 1897 novel, Dracula, given that Count Dooku, the actor, Sir Christopher Lee, was best known for playing Count Dooku in several of the Hammer films. Yes, playing Count Dracula. Yeah, you. I mean, it would have been a huge, huge missed opportunity. Oh, absolutely. Would it have still been cool? Probably. But, but honestly, but if you have Christopher Lee, the Prince of Darkness is what they're calling him in this story. Yes. Then guess what? The, the obvious route would be Dracula. Dracula. You have to. I mean, like even in even in his appearance in uh, episode two, he still had that hammer look to him. Oh, yeah. Count Dooku had still that. Oh, it's Dracula in space. Yeah. And I was like, that was the whole point. That was the whole point. Yeah. I mean, Christopher Lee's portrayal of Dracula and George Lucas's love of the gothic horror and the series of films that Hammer put out is the reason he had even cast Lee in the role of Count Dooku Dooku. in the first place, which is an obvious nod to Count Dracula. Oh, yeah. And if you even go back in retrospect and actually look at episode two, the way that the uh, Christopher Lee carries that character he Count walks Dooku. like dracula he walks like dracula yeah. he when he fights yoda the way he talks and the way he his hand movements his hand movements and everything it's very similar to his time as dracula in the hammer film and it's not because christopher lee only has is only a one trick pony if you've seen other lee films he manages to pull off very different different characters characters but that was the whole point. Lucas was a huge fan of the monster films. That's yeah. why we also had that scene at the end of Revenge of the Sith when Vader was essentially Frankenstein's monster. Frankenstein's and he monster. walked off that what surgical bed, that table, and the way he was walking was directly ripped from the old Frankenstein movies. So this love that Lucas had for multi a multiple of genres is the reason why star Wars is so robust and, and full of life and dynamic because Lucas never adhered to one style of cinema when it comes to, when it came to his movies, he took the idea of the star Wars 
you know, the, the, I'm sorry, of these space operas. And he incorporated various genres, the samurai, the Western, yeah. uh, the Flash Gordon, uh, the serials, and of course, the Hammer films. Because now, at the end of the day, George Lucas is still a fanboy in his own right. And that's the thing that we're missing, Dave, in except for maybe JJ. J- I, I think I JJ feel, gets it. I feel like that's what we're missing with a lot of these, with a few of these directors that have been chosen to direct movies. Um, and I'm not including Ron Howard or JJ in that, but the directors aren't, they don't come off as cinema nuts. They're not they're They don't come off like Lucas came off where Lucas loved the cinema, loved the movies. They come off as people that are directors who enjoy making movies, but not necessarily a cinema buff. A cinema buff, yes. Now, let's get into what exactly Hammer Film is. There may be people out there who just don't have any clue as to what we're talking about. Now, Hammer Film Productions was a British film production company based in London, and it was founded in 1934. The company was best known for a series of gothic horror films made from the 50s until the 70s yep and many of these involved classic horror characters such as frankenstein dracula and even the mummy which hammer reintroduced audiences by filming them in vivid color for the first time yes they also produced science fiction thrillers film noir and comedies but their claim to fame was the horror genre was the horror genre the gothic horror without a doubt so that being said, you can tell Kevin Scott really has an affinity towards not only Star Wars, that's that's a given, but also he understands and possibly even likes the genre of the gothic horror because this is a guy that does, isn't just going through the motions. This is a guy that so cleverly crafted a story based on things that is obvious that he likes. I feel like that's why this issue went over so fucking well. Uh, that being said, this story was so effing perfect for me. You get Obi-Wan and a fellow Jedi Knight landing on the planet of Bray, the planet of eternal darkness. Of eternal <laughs> darkness. When I heard that, that sold me. I got so fucking giddy. I'm like, oh shit. The planet of eternal darkness. Just that whole idea. If I was an executive in Hollywood and someone had to give me an elevator pitch in 30 seconds and I was like, you want to sell me a movie? All right, you got 30 seconds. And the uh, the uh, would be director or writer is all like the planet of eternal darkness sold 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 sold. <laughs> you don't even know what the story's about. I don't fucking care. I, I like it. that title. I like that title. <laughs> We're keeping that title. Yeah, it's something mysterious. Allegedly in the story, something mysterious has devoured the planet's only source of light. Nothing electrical works right. The entire planet is left to fend for itself within the darkness. And I like the fact that basically the 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 native species adapted to the darkness. When yeah. you look at the when you look at the character designs, it makes sense. I, I when you look at those characters, it's like or that creature, the 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 citizens of that planet, it made sense because they're they're they're, they're citizens of a planet that has no light. And their eyes are more open, much like when you when your eyes grow accustomed to darkness. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. The attention to detail was stunning. Now, all of this is a parody of the many films we've seen where the small villages within Transylvania (laughs) and the surrounding areas must always be prepared to fend off attacks from vampires and other creatures of the night. 
And the, the writer, Kevin Scott, was very clever with how he went about making this work in such a way that it not only worked to introduce the possibilities of the supernatural and horrific, but also uses he used established Star Wars canon. We find out that the town is, in fact, being overrun by aggressive Minoc, which we already know Minoc get their nourishment by eating or ingesting power. power. This is nothing new. We saw this way back in, uh, back in the days of Empire Strikes Back is when that was first introduced. Yeah. But where Kevin Scott really just knocked it out of the park and scores a home run is by turning the established canon on its head and using it to sell us on this vampire story. Uh, in this monster tale or urban legend, we learn that these Minoc can turn you into a vampiric style Minoc, Minoc. if you get scratched. <laughs> yep. But it would seem that this is only possible if their king, Raven, was present, much like many Dracula stories. What happens when Dracula dies? Everyone he had influence over is freed. Is freed. Until he wakens again. Right. So it's very, very clever. Now, Revna was a vampiric creature, and the design on on him was cool. Oh, it was. Because that's what I was like going, okay, this is a vampire film now. It's so fucking cool, dude. And I... I I love the art that we get in the regular Star Wars title, but I I love the Star Wars Adventures art, especially yeah. what we're getting with the Vader's castle. I am sold on it. Every single fucking panel is just amazing looking. Well, one of the it all looks like a piece of art. And we said this with our last discussion, Dave. Every single panel, every single page, I would blow it up and put it on my studio wall. Well, one of the things that I really, really appreciated in this in this comic was the fact that in every single uh, now with tales of Vader's castle, we get a different, uh, different artist doing the story of the character that's being told. Right? right. Right. But not only that, the use of the art here really gave a lot of influence into the personality of the story, the, the character telling the story. Yep. Because you got to remember that basically each story is going to be told by a different person. So in the last one, it was told by, uh, one of the droids, which the art looked very similar. Why? Because it's a droid telling the story. So there's no, you know, deviation from it. This time it's one of the more human characters telling the story from his perspective. Mm -hmm. And right from the get go, in the beginning of the story, I love this crew dude, because it's such a diverse bunch that this uh, this story the character i forgot i forgot his name but basically he's the grizzled veteran he takes everything seriously like everything is doom like this is more serious we need to take this more seriously and he even tells like one of the guy well the captain you know you don't understand what trouble we're in and stuff like that and then then he goes into a story and the art actually feels like this is from his perspective because he takes a serious look at the story. Yeah. And while the story itself is, it is goofy. You're talking about vampires, but also look at the fears. If you look at the first issue, which I believe you're right, was told by the droid, right? Yes. It was also told from the perspective of, of a droid within the story. If you look, who was the, 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 uh, uh, it was Chopper. Chopper. Chopper was the focus. He was the one that was uh, 
was he possessed? Is that yeah. what it was? He was the one that was possessed. He's the one. It was a. It was almost a droid horror story. It's about mechanical devices being haunted. Yeah. It was a fear that may that a droid may actually have this idea of being possessed and having no control. And now this story is a very human story about being taken over and consumed by a creature that sucks on essentially life force. Yeah. And essentially, if he scratches you, you lose all semblance of yourself. Yeah. And on top of that, one of my favorite because like in the last uh, last issue, I talked about like. My favorite panel, my favorite panel by far in this, in this whole thing was the introduction of Count Dooku. Oh, when yeah. you take a look at that page, it's ripped yeah. from a hammer film Yeah, because it's like, well, that was definitely the goal because it, it looked like an old, it could be an old school B film poster, that page yeah. where he becomes essentially Dracula. Yeah. Yeah. And then like in the very corner, I was cracking up because like, that panel that they used at the very corner where it's all green for some strange reason, because like count Dooku's talking, that's a hammer technique. Yeah. That's what you do to actually instill fear from Dracula as you close up on his eyes and all you see is the darkness in his eyes and weird lighting happens around it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I've, absolutely have been having fun with this series dude this is one of my this is turned into honestly my favorite star wars offshoot it might be one of my favorite side stories uh, at least of the last of this last year without a doubt absolutely without a doubt now because this is like the screaming citadel screaming citadel yeah it had its flaws but i had so enjoyed what they were trying to do different yeah the overall vibe of screaming citadel was was top notch was top notch yeah some of the story elements needed some work but overall yeah it was great the really cool thing for me about this this issue in particular but the series as a whole is the introduction or the introducing of cool ideas things that again not necessarily do we need to adhere to canon because these are essentially just people's perspectives people's stories but it's fun to see the what ifs. For example, in the issue, we saw that this Minoc god, Rav, Revna, Ravna, who was essentially, again, Dracula, we saw that he even had the ability to consume the power of a lightsaber. Yeah, dude, that was insane. Which I thought, fuck, that would be such a great villain to see in something. I, I know we never are going to have these these types of things in live action. But it just made me want to see him used again. And all of this was interestingly tied to Count Dooku and uh, and a way to present him, as you said, as Count Dracula. Dooku had planned to originally use uh, Ravna to infect the brain population in exchange for using converted clone troopers, I believe, to yes. infiltrate the ranks of the Republic Army. Yeah, and that, that, it was cool seeing like Count Dooku explain to Obi Wan, "This is why I'm doing this." And then like he tells him, uh, right here it says, "The contagion would spread like wildfire. Your defenses drained of power within hours." It's actually a logical plan. It's a logical plan. Yeah, I mean his plan didn't work out so well because he he too ended up becoming infected 
when Ravna turned on him. But yes. the most interesting part about all of this was when Count Dooku became essentially a vampire, as you had mentioned, and he used his force abilities in such a way that it resembled his portrayal as Dracula. As Dracula. And, and that's really what was the the uh the icing on the cake for me. Oh yeah. Kevin Scott gets a fucking a plus for his work on this copy on this comic. He nailed the tropes, the archetypes, the aesthetics, all of it when it comes to the B horror or even the yeah, the B horror films of of Hammer Productions. So, did any of this actually happen? Who knows? Who knows? That's the beautiful thing about this comic series. It's very clever how it weaves the cliches of urban legends and ghost stories to fit logically within the Star Wars universe without necessarily causing any rifts with an established canon. Now, Bray was named after the film. Here's a little bit of a, a little bit of nugget, I should say, of information some behind the scenes information. Interestingly, Bray, the planet Bray, was named after the film and television facility Bray Studios, which was one of Hammer Films Productions, Productions. studios. Yep. Where many of the famous horror films were filmed, such as the 1966 film Dracula, Prince of Darkness, Prince in of which Darkness. Count Dooku actor Christopher Lee starred in that role. Interesting. And I also like that this planet now is in canon. Again, this planet could just essentially be chalked off down the road as a story. And it's not real. But this is the first appearance of this planet. We've never seen this planet before. It was only mentioned and mentioned for the first time in this issue. Issue number two of Tales from Vader's Castle. Yeah. And dude, the the beautiful thing about it, too, that I really enjoyed was the fact that they introduced these hammer elements and use these horror tropes, the classic horror tropes and visuals without taking away from it being a Star Wars story. Yeah, I don't even get the vibe that this is a kiddie story. I know <laughs> I know the comic was initially geared and it is geared towards younger children, but I feel like it's also geared and this is not how it was promoted. But it's also geared towards cinema buffs, which we are. We love yeah. the cinema, especially the the older genres of the 60s and 70s and some in the 50s, but mostly the 60s and 70s. I think I would. Would you agree? That's usually that's our favorite decades for yeah, those throwback those the, films. Those, for those throwback films, the 60s and 70s for me is the Bible to my to my horror films. Yeah, because those are the ones that actually really not just horror films like spaghetti westerns, spaghetti westerns, and the Italian horror films, giallos, all dude, all some of the best. Film genres came from those decades. From those decades. And even today, when people make movies, they're borrowing elements that was innovated during those decades. Even though those films aren't necessarily regarded as high art, they're more looked upon as low art. There's a lot of elements that are now appreciated by modern Film critics, film critics and film directors. So to see them use those elements to craft this entire series of stories, I am so happy that we have this storyline. It's oh, so absolutely. much fun. It's uh, despite some of the negativity we have towards the Resistance TV series right now, then suddenly we get this. And this should be an example, Dave, 
And I know we're only at this point, we're only like four episodes, four or five episodes into Star Wars Resistance, but this is a perfect example of how you can gear something overtly towards younger audiences, but still give it qualities that will attract the older demos to the older demos. You imagine if this was a TV show. Oh, this would be holy shit. Awesome. Yeah. So final thoughts, Dave, my final thoughts about this. I know that basically last, uh, last episode we said, I I said that this was a, that was my, my favorite, but honestly, after reading this, I was really psyched to see this one and it lived up beyond my expectations. Because originally I was like thinking, how are they going to do a story around Obi-Wan Kenobi and Count Dooku? And I honestly, at the very beginning, thought, man, it'd be so awesome if they did something for Christopher Lee in a horror comic. And they did. They, they, they paid homage to one of my favorite icons of horror, the Hammer film. Everything about it was fantastic. I give this a solid a plus for me do i want to see more about this yeah i do will would we will we see it probably not (laughs) yeah but like i love the fact that at the very end they ended it just like a hammer film because all hammer films they still end on that cliffhanger even though we're not going to actually probably see anything about it of the hand rising from the grave (laughs) and i'm like going oh my god all you have to do now is just end it with the question mark and then that's it i know it's so fucking perfect dude (laughs) it's so perfect yeah yeah all right yeah i give this episode or this issue an a plus and i'm not going to go into it anymore i think people get the general idea of how i feel about this issue and the series as a whole so far i got high hopes for issue number three now I'm getting more and more excited as these come out. Yeah. Honestly, Dave, I didn't expect a lot from these. I thought they were going to be kind of throwaways, you know, kind of a way for Disney to earn some money, additional revenue from ancillary avenues before the end of the year to help cushion their bottom line yeah. a bit, especially with Solo not performing as well as they would like. But that's not the case. This shows foresight and thought. Yeah. Into putting these together. They hired the right people. They had a a very unique plan and strategy, and it's going over so well. It is it's working. It's working. Yeah. And and that's what I really dig about it is the fact that they're this is what I mean about taking risks, not be playing it safe. Yep. Cause you know, this you're right, because this was a risk. Who knows how this could have gone over? And unfortunately, Dave, because because this is technically under the whole Star Wars Adventures title that IDW Publishing is doing, a lot of Star Wars fans are veering away from it because yeah. they feel like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to keep reading Dr. Afra or the Vader series or the Star Wars series because uh, this is more gear- geared toward adolescence. And you're missing out. They're missing out because this is some of the funnest Star Wars uh, in terms of comics that we've gotten this year. Outside of the main title, because I do en- I do enjoy the Star Wars main title quite a bit and Doctor Afra, but the side stories, this is one of the best we've gotten. Oh, it, bl- it blows the Lando double or nothing double out, or of nothing out of the water, like Lando double or nothing. Who? <laughs> it's like it's like I'm like going. So this isn't covered by Marvel. Interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> All right, so this concludes our discussion on Tales from Vader's Castle, issue number two, Count Dooku, Prince of Darkness. I want to thank everybody for listening. If you want to share some thoughts with us, please go to facebook.com slash Star Wars from the Back to Tank or hit us up on Twitter at from Back to Tank. Let us know your thoughts. Let us know if there's anything else you'd like us to cover either on the regular show or even on Patreon. And if you're not on Patreon, if you haven't pledged or subscribed, you can get more Star Wars from the Back to Tank discussions each and every single month if you pledge $5 or more a month. Thank you, David. Thank you. May the force be with us. Hello, this is Stormtrooper 1. And if you've missed any portion of the show, you can always head over to FromTheBackToTank.com and uh, listen to the show at your leisure. Uh, we're also on Stitcher, Smart Radio, Stitcher.com, search BACTA, and add us to your favorites. Thank you. And uh, listen responsibly. And may the Force be with you. And long live. Thank you for listening to From the Back to Tank. And From the Back to Tank is executive produced by Michael Flores and Dustin Lucas. Hosted by Michael Flores, David Zabal. You can find out more about our show by going to www.fromthebacktotank.com. You can also find us on Twitter at FromBackToTank, as well as Facebook, facebook.com slash FromTheBackToTank.